0: Shot. I'm a shy
1: podcaster. I'm shy.
0: Um, all right. Are <laughs> yes, we are live, live from Starfleet headquarters. Um, hi, everybody. This is the uh, Starfleet Boy episode uh, where we have casual and informal discussions about Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, and today's episode is going to feature the big goodbye, which is episode eleven. 11. Yes. So I'm joined once again by my fabulous co-host, uh, the Doctor. Hello, Doctor. Bye. Just a big and, goodbye. So. <laughs> and Gull Duscott. Greetings, Human. Who <laughs> you heard in the beginning saying uh, he's a very shy, a shy person. And that's okay. Yeah, I'm very Scott. shy.
1: That's why I don't like uh, I don't go out there and publicly put myself on the internet <laughs> and let my face get on YouTube. I'm extremely shy.
0: I think your mic placement is very interesting today. It's just like very there. I'm just right
1: up on it, just oh, in your
0: face. Up on it, okay. Yeah. So uh, real quick, uh, kind of, I'm going to take a cue from Drunk Space Nine. Oh, by the way, uh, Doctor, if you do listen to Drunk Space Nine, we're trying to get the Doctor to listen to our other show called Drunk Space Nine. Scott, Goldie Scott, gives the most concise... Summaries of the show, the episodes—they're really to yours, which yeah, show. mine go on forever, and so.
1: <laughs> but I'm sure I miss quite a bit of important detail that you otherwise would cover. Thank you
0: for your kindness, Goldie Scott. But um, cons- conciseness is good; is a virtue. <laughs> it's a virtue. Um, so on that note. <laughs> The episode, um, The Big Goodbye is the first episode to feature Captain Picard's, uh, little, um, fascination with 1930s fictional, even fictional in our reality, detective, uh, Dixon Hill, who's based on kind of like, basically, he's just a conglomerate of all the noir, uh, films of the, and, and, uh, paper, uh, Pulp novels of the nineteen twenties, thirties, and forties, right?
2: Yes, Raymond Chandler novels and mm-hmm. stuff like uh,
0: the Big Sleep and all that. Right. As a matter of fact, this the title's a combination of, I think, the Big Sleep and the Long Goodbye, or something like that. Um, if I recall, the trivia I read correctly. Um, he so, anyways, Captain Picard is super stressed out in the beginning of this episode. He's trying to. Uh, we find out, uh, you know, this is, I think, the first episode where Riker is doing a a, uh, a first officer's log. The episode opens with not a captain's log, but a first officer's log. Um, and he's talking about how they're going to rendezvous with uh, an alien species who they have not had an encounter with for 20 years because they get offended if you speak their language or mispronounce a, a word in their language incorrectly. Um and there's a few interesting gags later on uh, regarding that. But uh, anyways, ca- so then we find out Captain Picard's busy in his ready room with uh, Counselor Troy, and he's trying to figure out the sort of dynamics of this uh, language. And we discover through the dialogue that the aliens are insectoid or insect, insect-like aliens. And, you know, uh, so there's this, like, cool mystery about them. Like, are we going to get to see them? Which we don't, <laughs> unfortunately. We, <laughs> we do not get to see them. Um, anyways, uh, Captain Picard stressed out, and then Counselor Troy uh, recommends that he take a trip to the holodeck uh, because they have about like 12 hours or something until they rendezvous with the. I think they're called the Jadan, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember the name of the aliens, and I just watched the episode. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, at first he's reluctant to do this. He thinks he has to keep practicing, and then he kind of just he realizes, you know what? A, a distraction is is probably a good thing. Um, it's just like any of us when we're studying too hard or trying to prepare for something, and we're you know putting too much effort into it. Um, we do. You do sometimes need distraction to uh, to get your focus back. It's weird, but it works. So Captain Picard walks into the holodeck and uh, you know initiates the program that apparently Counselor Troy has already installed for him, which makes me wonder if she uh, she masterminded it a little bit because it's a bit sultry, this little experience that he has when he goes in there. But he gets into the holodeck, and uh, immediately there's a few funny gags about how he looks like a bellhop um, tricks. His secretary is like, hey, Dix, where are you, what are you doing? Bellhopping on the side at the Fairmont Hotel? Or, you know, some weird kind of 1930s accent like that. And um, then he encounters this, like... Uh, millionaires and she, um, you know, who who he knows from reading the novels, and she uh, asks him. She thinks that uh, someone's trying to murder her, and she basically puts him on a mission, you know, on a on a puts a, on, a help, on a case. Thank you. <laughs> and Captain Picard, and then and then kisses him, and then Captain Picard has to go. He's like totally. We have to remember that this is, like, you know, early holodeck stuff. Like, even for um, the crew, they're not... They're, I think the Enterprise probably has one of the more advanced... Holodecks in all of uh, in all of Starfleet at the moment, so everything looks extraordinarily real. It's not like what they were expecting. And then there's a scene where Captain Picard is like just going on. He's like super excited about how amazing the holodeck is, how real it is. And there's a couple of funny gags in that scene as well, like uh, Doctor Crusher wiping the lipstick off of his lips, uh, which is still on his lips, which is interesting. It, you one would think it'd get erased when you walk out of the holodeck. Um, yes.
2: Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs>
0: um,
1: do I was going to bring that up? up. I'm sorry? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I was going to bring that up. It bothered me, too.
2: I didn't, I didn't, even, I didn't even realize that. You know, I, I was too consumed with um, how excited Picard was. I've never seen him so excited on the show before. It was almost out of
0: character. He was just kind of giddy. He was really giddy. I mean, but I, you know, I kind of think it was appropriate too because, if I'm not mistaken, this was the captain's first time on the holodeck. So, um, you know, he's just astonished. I guess he didn't even realize how uh, how good the technology had become. And I mean, think about it for a second. Like, if you were to walk right now, knowing how technology is, if tomorrow you walked into the equivalent of a holodeck and you were suddenly on the bridge of the enterprise, I think you'd be extremely excited and want everyone to Oh I
2: agree. I uh, agree. I'm just surprised that he was giddy with like with the crew like that.
0: Like, oh yeah. Yeah. He really
2: he was really very reserved and, and but he was just positively uh, you know jovial. I mean he was just like
0: it Just... threw him off. Yeah, it threw him off guard. I think he was not expecting what he saw. So, and, do you, and, and mind do you, you he feel didn't... like
1: it's weird though. If this was his first time on the holodeck, isn't that strange? Don't you think the captain would have surveyed his entire ship before they uh, set off on their mission, and that he would have visited the holodeck before?
0: Well, I mean, you know, one can think of it that way, and then another way to think of it is the same as like how some adults are reluctant to play video games. You know, like he might view the holodeck as not like not something to like spend time doing. Like he might think of it more as a, a waste of time than an actual like thing to go do and have fun with. He is kind into... of boring, you know? What's that? he's kind of a boring guy in his real life. So. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. You heard it here first Captain Picard is boring. <laughs> now Riker we know is very familiar with holo technology oh, something. Yeah. Something, it is. <laughs> something we forgot to mention in the previous episode was How the two of you
2: could not be <laughs> now. holo liar
1: porn. I cannot. They weren't know. naked. What? They weren't naked. Oh, but that was coming.
2: <laughs> no, that was coming. Before he got the little, you know, call to go wherever he had to go. Come on.
0: Yeah, he was he was pretty uh, he it looked like he was in for the night. It looked like he was yeah. relaxed and <laughs> oh, yeah, was, was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, was. right. So, so um excuse me, Picard invites the the, <sighs> the crew to go onto the holodeck and uh, Beverly's really excited about this, actually. But then he drops Why this... Why is like, she so excited? I think, like, she was excited because, like, the lipstick and, like, how excited... You know, how excited Jean-Luc was. I mean, like, she's not used to him being this giddy, and I think it kind of turned her on. Um, I think she was
1: excited because she thought the captain was asking her out on a
0: date. Yeah, and in a yeah. sense, like, he might have been... But then he drops, of course, he's like... and And this is... I want this job... He, he wants to invite the fiction expert. First <laughs> no, of all, that's no. not a real job. Wait, wasn't he the historian? Yeah, but then later he calls him
1: a fiction expert. They specifically refer to him as the fiction expert. The that's fiction. why they brought him. We're bringing along Waylon, our fiction expert. <laughs> oh, wow. The narration says it. So It's I, like, why I, is there a fiction expert? Is that a, a function that, that a starship needs? Someone who has read a lot of fiction? Well,
0: why does the starship need whale navigators, right? It or doesn't a have whale navigators
2: <laughs> on the bridge. But okay. With that, or a counselor on the bridge, for that matter.
0: Or Go a counselor? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Full-time counselor on the bridge, whale navigators, and a fiction expert. The enterprise is ready for anything. There um, are no whale
1: navigators. I thought we established on our last episode that uh, the the book is not canon.
2: <laughs> is Star Trek four canon? Yes, it is. We have whale navigators. <laughs> they have life pods and everything. Okay, so let's move on.
0: And I proposed uh, you missed our little. You missed most of our uh, our forty five minute review of. Uh, <laughs> Star- oh, I'll be watching later. Don't worry. <laughs> Star- I don't how- but I have proposed uh, puffin puffin navigators for the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll no. let you discover that on your own. Oh. So they get this little team together. Uh, data. There's a cool scene where Data learns everything about Dixon Hill in, like, 20 minutes, or 10 seconds, actually, probably, like, very quickly. Um, So they get this little team together, and they go down to the holodeck, and um, uh, at first it's just Data, Waylon, and Picard, and uh, there was a nice little cameo by Dick... Miller right off the bat as soon as they come into the holodeck, and if you guys don't know who Dick Miller is, uh, you might recognize him as Mr. Futterman from the Gremlin movies.
1: Yes, that was cool. Yeah, is that, that the was... guy who was also in Reservoir Dogs?
0: Yes, that's no, no, where I know that, him that's from. Harvey Keitel. Is he wait? Is Dick Miller in Reservoir Dogs? No.
1: Are you talking about the older, bald, the gentleman? Uh, yeah, I he's I like, like the real boy, like the boss, the boss, the boss. No, no, no. When, when the guy they who when sells they per- the guy who sells
0: the newspapers exactly. Oh yeah, of course. That guy's in lots of stuff. Yeah, he's in lots of stuff, but he's, you know, well known as Mr. Futterman in the Gremlins movies, at least to me. Um, so it was really delightful to see him in there. And I think there were a couple of other interesting cameos, but not actors that I knew. But but that was one that I definitely recognized. The guy um, from Reservoir Dogs also is also in it. I don't remember what scene was. He when was, 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 was the boss.
1: He was the head boss
0: in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Oh, gotcha. He's uh, Sean,
1: um, not Sean Penn, Chris Penn's character's father.
0: Oh, okay. I got to watch Reservoir Dogs again. It's been way too long. Probably 25 years since I've seen that movie. He's the
1: guy in the opening scene in the diner. He yells at them all and makes them tip. He yells at Steve Buscemi when Steve Buscemi announces
0: that he's not going to leave a tip.
2: (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: So the Gerada just looked up what they're called. So the Jurada, um, while this is going on, while they're, like, in the, in the holodeck, the Jurada call, and they're like, we want to speak to the captain, not a subordinate. And they're really offended that Riker even answered the call. <clears throat> so there's that little tension. And, um, well, I guess... Oh, before that. So, anyways, they they they're all impressed by San Francisco, and then uh, the cops come, and uh, Dixon Hill is uh, being asked, you know, is basically being accused of the murder of the uh, of the wealthy uh, client from earlier, from before. So then, uh, the next scene we have, um, you know, Dixon Hill like being interrogated by the police, and Dr. Crusher finally comes aboard, and she's dressed. She looks great. I think. What did you guys think? Super hot. Yes. <laughs> so she she gets on the holodeck, and there's a, a cool scene where she's kind of, like, trying to figure out what, what to do by observing another holodeck uh, woman of the period. And then um, we go in, and we, you know, we get a little taste of the interrogation, and Captain Picard's enjoying himself, and everything's going really, really wonderfully. And then the... Uh, then suddenly, the gerada decide to probe the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and so apparently this probe does something specifically to the holodeck because like the purple probe light seems to focus right into the panel on the holodeck and go into it, which is unexplained. I don't really know why the probe affects the holodeck in particular, but apparently it does and it and it does something un, apparently unbeknownst to the gerada because they, they didn't plan it and it's not mentioned that they're bad guys, right? But all of a sudden the holodeck starts to malfunction and we don't know this right away. Well, we know this because we're shown that purple, uh, purple light, but uh, the crew don't know this right away, except that um, Riker tries to summon Captain Picard and can't get a hold of him. Um, <clears throat> anyways, on the on the holodeck, you get this kind of like henchman guy, Mr. Leech, come in and he's asking for the Maltese Falcon or some some <laughs> artifact. They
2: don't specifically say, it's it's just it's an unnamed MacGuffin.
0: Yeah, but yeah, it, is
2: a, it is probably something like the Maltese, Falcon. The Maltese Falcon. Yeah.
0: And at first they're like super entertained. I mean, they're just like the—they're just like this is so fun. Like we're being our lives are being threatened. Ha ha
1: ha ha. Especially <laughs> Crusher. Crusher is really having fun.
0: <laughs> right. She, well, as a matter of fact, I think when uh, f- well, anyways, so Mr. Leech, who's like f- you know, freaked out. Like um, Waylon says you're never gonna find that. Maltese falcon and then he he's like now hand me your gun and ah. Mr. Leech actually shoots Waylon Waylon falls to the ground and Dr. Crusher claps <laughs>
1: she, <laughs> like she's watching a show but...
0: <laughs> which to me it's like well holodeck or not like you're gonna clap so that these characters can be completely confused by your your actions like Mr. Leech as an AI must be totally like what is wrong with these <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and of course, this is when the horrific realization comes to them that oh, Waylon is not is not pretending. He actually got shot. He's actually bleeding out, and his life signs are in in uh, danger, and he could he could die. So now, as as uh, as they say, things get real. And, uh, <laughs> Did they yeah. say
1: that back in the 40s? No, we say that now. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I thought we're, we were doing 40s speak for the entire episode. More specifically, we say today... <laughs> Our characters are in quite a pickle
0: now. <laughs> that would be more appropriate. <laughs> shit, shit just got real on the holodeck. Uh. <laughs> Read all about it. <laughs> it's almost too real. Anyways. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, now we figure out... The bridge crew is figuring out that something's wrong. They can't get into the holodeck. The holodeck crew is trying to figure out how to keep Whalen alive. Um, Mr. Leach is uh, demanding that um, Dixon Hill give, the, uh, <laughs> give up the Maltese Falcon. And we've got a whole lot of drama. And uh, finally, uh, that... That that's when they introduce uh, Cyrus Redblock. Was that his name, Cyrus Redblock? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. What a great name. Great name. Typical awesome 1940s mobster type villain. He's even wearing a bowler hat or a derby, a brown derby hat or a bowler hat. I mean, he's got like, you know, and he's he's totally like, uh, he's just like the boss, right? So to kind of, like, this takes us into the next level where they're trying to convince, they're trying to keep Waylon alive, so they try a few things, but they finally decide to just fess up and tell Cyrus Redblock that <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> they're not from this <laughs> this planet, and that they're from a planet that's just beyond uh, these uh, these fictitious doors or whatever, and... You know, he at first he he doesn't believe believe them, but then when Captain Picard starts talking about all the riches beyond uh, anything he could imagine, you know that are that are awaiting him on the Enterprise, all of a sudden, you know, Cyrus Redblock uh, becomes interested. And I thought it was fun that the whole time, Mister Leach just wanted to kill everybody. He's just like, oh, when can I kill? You know, well, that's his
1: program, right? He's a, he's yeah, prime <laughs> killer.
2: He's just like Peter Lorre <laughs> or something.
0: <clears throat> Yeah, I thought
2: that was great. Uh, question. Um, why couldn't Dana just overcome all of them?
1: <laughs> he could have, I think.
2: I mean, and I, I don't mean to bash the episode, because I, I, I generally do like the episode a lot. I'm a big fan of the pulp 1940s novels. You know, I, I read Raymond Chandler, and um, I read the Shadow novels. Uh but I just – I don't understand why. I mean, if this guy was shot and they, they can see that there's something wrong with the holodeck, um, I think they could have overcome these gangsters and tried to find a hospital. And, and wouldn't, would, wouldn't the hospital – wouldn't the holodeck in the hospital have been able to save this guy? I mean, if the bullets can really – hurt him then obviously anything that's in a hospital can really you know help him in terms of getting a bullet out and and stop the bleeding i mean
1: i don't understand why they didn't think of that
2: well uh, other than that the plot would not have <laughs> would not
1: have moved forward
0: that's a very good point see <laughs> well, at, at that particular moment um the holodeck's not responding to any of their commands cuz the, uh, captain picard no, but they didn't need to make commands they just need to Go well, with the plot, you know? We'll like think, it, think about this for a, a second. So, you
1: know, like on the <laughs> end NM- has there ever been a holodeck episode where our characters spend the entire time in the holodeck and everything works okay?
0: No. No, I think the the the, hol- the holodeck's pretty dangerous, it's always malfunctioning. It's kind of a <laughs> really bad thing. <laughs> you know, um, it seems like every holodeck episode shit goes wrong
1: and it's uh, just a bad idea. Like it's not a reliable thing. No.
0: To, to your point, doctor. Um so were, were were they able to get off the holodeck? Obviously the situation would be resolved very quickly, but the holodeck's not responding, so they can't open the doors. So that's one thing, right? Um if Data had decided to kill, let's say, well, not red on him. Just or come yeah, or just too many variables. You know, Mr. Leech could shoot Captain Picard or, like, someone in the head, you know, or something Captain like that. Captain
2: Picard so, is a Starfleet officer.
0: <laughs> right, but it...
2: Well, three Starfleet officers. They can't overcome two Chicago... Bugs.
0: Bugs? They don't have, uh, they don't the have any of their Starfleet... They don't have any of their Starfleet technology with them. They're all dressed in 1930s <laughs> garb. The oh, other cool thing is, is let's is. say... First they don't all, have their phasers see <laughs> They can't overpower them with just their the fists. Is, is trained in hand-to-hand combat. We know from other movies that when a person's been shot in the gut that you're not supposed to move them first of all, right? I so don't, you, so I don't even <laughs> so even if you if you were to able to get uh, Waylon to a, a hospital, let's say you were able to. We're talking about 1930s like hospital technology. I think Waylon would have died. Just, just, whoa, whoa, whoa. He know. was shot
2: in the gut. Hmm. I think in the 1930s you can survive a gunshot wound in the gut. I'm pretty sure.
0: The chances of survival were a lot less in the 30s than they are in the 20th well, century. They didn't
2: know how long <laughs> they were going to be stuck in a holodeck. I, try your best. I mean, you know, I, I think Data should have just punched the two guys out. <laughs>
0: You well, know. as we know... Okay, so I will say he this... super speed, right? He could have just picked something up and gone... Whoosh, whoosh, hit not the only that, as we know from Star Trek First Contact, he can actually also take machine gun, like a barrage of machine gun exactly. fire. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of things that Data could have done. Yeah, you know, so why doesn't he do them? Maybe he was just not... In character? Like... <laughs> Or he could just not have been a, a confident in himself. You know, there was just that episode that just I've passed where an <laughs> <android. laughs> he. As yeah, we know, data is an
1: emotion, right? Is confidence an emotion?
0: No, confidence is not. It's, a, it's an emotional emotion. response, though. Yeah. I think your confidence can be affected by your emotion, but I think you can be emotionlessly un, in, unconfident.
1: I actually think the logical thing for Data to do would have been to save them, to overpower yeah. the thugs. and uh, What are we going to do? Season one. Anytime something doesn't make sense, I just say, season one, eh, what are you going to do?
0: <laughs> so, really good point there. I mean, I do agree with you, but then the episode would have been over in a jiffy, and then there wouldn't be anything to talk about. So... Um, There is that. (laughs) Okay, but I just wanted to establish that. Good point, good point. Thank you. It is one of the problems of creating a character that's so powerful, right? I mean, you expect that character to be able to do their thing in every situation, and so that is definitely a good point. um, That's the Superman problem, yeah. Very true. Well, anyways, as, as the discussions go on, Picard finally convinces Cyrus Redblock and Mr. Leach to step out of the holodeck now that the doors are working. Oh, by the way, there's a whole side thing happening where Wesley's trying to figure out how to fix everything. Because that's what he does. Because uh, that's what he does. And actually, there's a, there's a funny scene where um, Wesley's trying to explain what's going to happen... Um, and Riker's like, "There's no time for explanation. Just do it." <laughs> and Jordy's over, hovering over his shoulder, just watching him.
2: Right?
0: Yeah, I think it's just amazing how Wesley is like so good at all of this. Like, well, does it? Does he save the day? Is he the one who saves the day here? Yeah, he basically yes. gets the he gets the holodeck to respond again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, anyways, uh, Cyrus. No one really thanks him though. I don't think they never thank Wesley. No. They- no no one ever seems to thank Wesley enough <laughs> thank you answered Crusher
1: you may now stay on the bridge for 22 minutes a day instead of 20 <laughs> for every good deed you do I will increase your bridge time by 10% oh my gosh shouldn't he have gotten at least a, a,
2: a, I don't know a, a raise in rank at the very I... least from for saving yeah no, Saving the life of a fellow crewman you know, and uh, the fiction historian or whatever, but also saving the uh, Starfleet's uh, relationship with these insect people. I mean, if, if it hadn't been for Wesley, all of this would have been a disaster.
1: I know, the, the insect people, the, who are they, the gelato? The gelato. Uh, the, yeah. yeah, if it wasn't for Wesley, <laughs> relations with the gelato would have gone straight to hell. And that would have meant, what would that have meant for the future of, of the Galaxy? Very bad things, right? Well,
0: Extreme. no, it just would have, it would have really meant another 20 years where we couldn't talk to the Jadon or, you know, whatever. I It didn't seem like the first, I although... I don't
1: think we've seen the Jadon in 20 years anyway, so it was, it's oh, not but, sure it made a difference.
0: But, you know, there are some funny gags about, like, the Jadon's reaction to their language being butchered, which... Maybe they vomit or some horrifying thing occurs, like, ah! but who knows? <laughs> so the, Sound like this, is first, this is the first time we discovered You're that the if you... are an expert do, at Velociraptor <laughs> impersonations. I can, I used, yes, you are? I used to be able to do a very... Oh,
1: you really? I had a roommate who was really great at it, too. Can I hear yours? It's been a long time. All right, it's cool. We won't give you any problems. I mean, we'll understand. It's rusty everyone viewers
0: i don't know if that was good <laughs> that was when, amazing when we were younger we um...
1: <laughs> when we were younger <laughs> when we were younger velociraptors
2: well, yeah we would do these uh we would do these these phone on the phone scenarios like star trek we would call them Kubarashi and marus right
0: right it's it's role playing
2: right. we were role playing right <laughs> they would be on the phone and and sometimes it would get quite wild and 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 I think one of them involved uh being trapped with velociraptors and he was a velociraptor I guess
0: I was always the dungeon master yeah the dungeon raptor the dungeon raptor in a land by the way uh Goldus Scott and I spoke about this um <laughs> the uh <laughs> The, what was it that we were talking about the narrative? I don't know, we
1: speak about a lot of things. I have no idea <laughs> where can't you're going. I remember
0: this. now. But we Oh, this is the lost there's a lost episode of Drunk Space 9 which we'll talk about on Drunk Space 9 some more. Already? But anyways, uh, I did a whole bunch of impersonations of a narrator. So <laughs> It
1: wasn't really an episode though. It was it was our thoughts on the TV series trailer. That's right. Yeah. Oh. The narrate, the narration. Of- had, it had just come out, so we got on that night. and We tried to do our thoughts, and uh, my yeah. thoughts. Well, okay. Since I'll just say it now, you want to just do our thoughts now?
0: Well, yeah. We, 45- we spent we spent forty five minutes on it, but you can get on the-, the Star yeah. Trek Beyond trailer or the TV series. Trailer? No, we talked about the TV trailer. Okay. Can I get my TV uh, trailer thoughts
1: really your, quickly? And then teams. I actually have to go. Go for okay. it. Okay. Uh, since the TV trailer only showed us ten words on a screen. I uh, have brought down my thoughts to just ten words. And my ten word review of that trailer is I hate trailers that just show words on a screen.
0: That's very excellent. Good. Very well done. Alright, don't leave just yet. Let me wrap right. up our let me wrap up our show real quick. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um oh, is they, this the end have, of the show? Alma, well, he's gonna leave. But I, I don't
1: sure. mean. Yeah, I don't mean to make the show cut off prematurely. If you guys wanna wanna go on without me, or uh, Goldie all.
0: Scott has a has a hangout with another yeah. another Cardassian, a former
1: Apple Store Cardassian. Yep,
0: another one. <laughs> so we discover that if a halt, if you're ever in danger, get the holodeck danger to follow you outside, and what happens? They disappear. A holodeck character cannot. <clears throat> maintain its form outside the holodeck. Of course, this changes Yet. later. Oh, yeah. Yet. This changes later. A holographic character does live outside the holodeck in sickbay, right? The doctor, Dr. Doctor Zimmerman on Voyager. Um, well, actually, we, well
1: before that, in Next Moriarty. Generation. Yeah.
2: Moriarty.
1: Professor Moriarty. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. That He gets a shuttlecraft and everything. I forgot about that. You
2: yeah. yeah. forget about that.
0: Oh, That's dear. right. He's Professor Moriarty, how do you forget? Well, only only sentient uh, byproduct of the ship's computer, Professor Moriarty, would be able to do that. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as of right now, that hasn't hasn't occurred. And um, anyways, they disappear. Captain Picard makes it on the bridge just in time to give the greeting to the Jadon, and it's something like... Like, it just sounds like a bunch of vomiting sounds but he does it successfully and they're very excited and now we can start a whole new era of relationship uh, relationships with the uh the insect, gelato with the gelato <laughs> and um and then the episode finishes off in a cute little way where uh, you know data does this little uh, you know he's like uh Jordy asks, you know, so, uh, Data, what was it like? And he's like, it was a rainy day in San Francisco. The rain was hard. And then um, instead of the typical uh, engage, Captain Picard says, step on it. And voila, we're done. Wah, wah. And I'm excited about the next episode because it is Data Lore. Oh. It's going to be our first meeting of lore. Oh, but yeah. Real quick before you go, Goldie Scott, uh, scale of 1 to 10. Is that the scale on Starfleet Boy? I can never remember.
1: No, Starfleet Boy is 1 to 5, I believe. Oh. 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 (laughs) Um, (laughs) 1 to 5. scale of 1 to to 5. I would give this episode a 2.5. 2.5? Straight in the middle.
0: All right. What about you, Doctor? I give it a 3. I'm gonna give it three point one. I'm gonna do a three point five. It's almost four stars. I like oh, this episode a lot. I God. thought it was a great, a great Picard episode. I thought, um, I liked I, I, I'm a fan of the pulp novels and the noir films, so I liked all those references. Um, and it's a good little break from, you know, a mission with aliens and phasers and. Uh, although there haven't been any ship battles, Goldie Scott. <laughs> Goldie Scott always looking for those
1: ship battles. Ain't going to happen next week either. What,
2: what, what do you think of the humor, Goldie Scott? You're not a fan of the Star Trek humor.
1: I It has its place. I'm not a fan of Picard as a humorous character. I think the humor in this show works best when it's coming through Data and when it's Data being unintentionally funny. Mm-hmm. or just saying something sort of, I don't know, uh, offensive, but not meaning it that way, or, you know, just data being data. That, to me, is is when the humor of the show works best. But when you've got Picard acting goofy, uh, when you've got them all dressing up in silly costumes, I don't know, it's a little bit much for me. Do, do you all uh, think this is
2: the this is where cosplay culture comes from? Oh, interesting point.
0: Well, were That's there Trekkies true. already dressing up before this show? Trekkies have definitely been dressing up long before the Next Generation. Uh, but now we
2: have Star Trek characters dressing, dressing up. up. So now it's getting really meta. The TV Guide, by the way, and I'm reading this from my trusty companion.
1: <laughs> You've <got Carole>. hey.
2: <laughs> the TV Guide uh, said... Uh, this, they jeered this episode. Do you remember how TV Guide would have cheers and jeers? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where they would rate things. Well, they gave this a jeer, and they said it was too derivative of the original series episode, a piece of the action.
1: Of course. How did we not talk about that? I, I'm surprised you didn't bring that up, Doctor, how, how close this was to that. If this is just one more one more homage, or if you just want to say flat-out copying the original series.
0: Well, you have to remind. I think you have to remember. A lot of the writers at this point are still there. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of influence from the original series. I mean, I think Roddenberry came up with the concept for this episode, and uh, you know, nah, I'm sure he's surprise. he's pulling from his own. He's pulling from his own uh, font, his own fountain there. Um, yeah.
1: On another note, fountain, like his to own fountain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this episode won the George Foster Peabody Award. Oh. Uh, as the best of the best. I'm sorry. No, it was the best of the best award from the George Foster
1: <laughs> Peabody. <laughs> the worst award. of the best.
2: <laughs> <laughs> award board for it was the first for an hour-long first-run drama. Now, I don't know what the George Foster Peabody Award board is,
0: um, but they gave it an award. Well, huh. I've heard I've heard of the Peabody Award, but i never heard of it being given to a television. Show, I thought it was like something for like novels and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm mistaken, but yeah. um <clears throat> that's very interesting too. Uh, I do disagree, Goldew Scott. I think Picard is actually great. I don't think he's humorous the same way data is. I think he's more like what we're seeing is Picard let loose and enjoying himself, and I don't think it's appropriate for the character for every episode, but I did like it uh for this one.
1: I see your point there,
0: yeah. All right, so, gentlemen.
1: Well, I'm going to have to bow out on you.
0: All right, cool. This will be interesting to see what happens when you sign off. Like, if yeah,
1: well, you guys should still be there, and I, uh, I will look forward to uh, watching the rest of your discussion uh, <clears throat> later on tonight or tomorrow when I get home.
0: All right, thank you.
1: All right, Golders Scott out.
0: Live long and prosper. Yes. Live long and prosper. Oh, that was cool. He just like boop, boops out. Um. Before we continue, I'd like to, <laughs> before we continue, uh, doctor, I forgot to do this earlier, I wanted to, so hopefully, uh, she doesn't watch the show, but if she does, she might stick around to the end. Or oh, yes, or it's
2: Emma's birthday.
0: We'd like to give a very, very warm Starfleet Boy, uh, birthday greeting to. Our friend Emma, who is now a proprietor of the Milkway Mall trap. It's nice to be able to say that that yeah. she's a co-proprietor. Um, so here we go. Happy birthday. To you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Emma. Happy uh, birthday. To you. Yeah. <laughs> So, do you have anything else to say about this episode before we wrap it up? Um, Actually, I had tons to say. Oh, <laughs> say
2: them now. No, Gold of Scott is gone. It's all right. This I is can no. save it for the next Deck episode. No, I had a lot to... I just wanted what what all of you thought about, just, you know, um, the nature of sentience and these holographic programs. I mean, it seems like... Uh, from the very beginning, a lot of these uh, holodeck programs seem to have characters that are... Uh, they seem to have a sort of sentience about them. I mean, we have this one. Um, the the think- friend who gets left behind. the uh, Dixon Hill's friend. Oh, right. Who, uh, oh, behind. we didn't even talk about that... That tender moment. Yes, that's that moment where he's <laughs> like, "Am I gonna? Is my is my wife and kid? Are my wife and kids gonna be home when I go? are Are they are they gonna Are they at home? Are they gonna be? Home? Am I gonna be able to go back to them? And and I'm like, you know, that's way beyond the program's parameters, I would think. And um, you know, even going moving forward to like Deep Space Nine and everything. I mean, we have a lot of of hollow sentience
0: <laughs> it seems like uh, well i mean i think i think Let's sentience saying, well i think sentience and consciousness are kind of like when it comes to science fiction those are two areas consciousness in particular is an area of interest to science and science fiction because it's like to you know with all of our advances with all of our uh, understanding of how the human body works, with our understanding of biology, with our understanding of nature, of you know, just physics, the mechanics of the universe. We've come so far yet, yet the one thing that eludes, continues to elude humanity and anyone who's on a journey of thought or, or discovery of self or science, you know, in particular scientists who are trying to forgot how sentience and all that work completely baffling I mean no one understands what happens how how like a a life form becomes conscious and where consciousness goes when a life form ceases to uh, exist in a corporeal form yet we all have a concept of existence beyond uh, a physical form right so I think that like what what um What's happening here is that the hall, you know, these, it's just a way of presenting another kind of intelligence, another kind of consciousness, another kind of sentience. And it makes, it begs the question, like, are, you know, are these programs just so well written that they come across as sentient or conscience? And it's us, it's us that are putting our, we're anthropologists. It is doing the same thing as when you anthropomorphize something, you know, like we're like putting in, we're imbuing them with a sentience or a consciousness that may not actually exist. And this will come up later when we, uh, we discover some things about data too. The similar questions will, will come up about data. Right. Um, and, and, and whether he's sentient or conscious, you know? Right.
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting that they keep because, I mean, we have, we have Moriarty later on, mm-hmm.
0: I think next season, right? Yeah, I, th- I think he's introduced next season, Pulaski, right?
2: Pulaski, the Pulaski era.
0: So then later on on
2: Deep Space Nine, we have uh, Victor Von, mm-hmm. the the lounge singer, mm-hmm. uh, and then on Voyager, we obviously have the the Doctor. Um, so, you know what? What are the conditions that create this? I think on Deep Space Nine is just kind of, if I'm not mistaken, it's just random. So it's interesting that. You know, I mean, how if 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 other ships have holodecks? I mean, and through star throughout Star Trek, we've seen I mean, what's the average of sentient holographic beings
0: at this point? You know. It's Is this becoming a problem? Is this like it's something? Right. <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. Because exactly. wait, there's also there's also very realistic Leah Brahms later on, like who also.
2: Oh yeah. You know, like there's so wow. much
0: of this going on. Well, I mean. Ultimately, what we have to remember is that all of these are the ship's computer. And I think the Enterprise's computer is the most advanced computer up until this point in Star Trek. So what we're really seeing are expressions of the ship's computer's own possible sentience. And later on, if I'm not mistaken, I'm kind of vaguely remembering that there is an episode that addresses the ship's computer becoming sentient in some way, Um, and it had... On The Next, next generation. generation. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some research to figure out which episode it was, but I just have a vague memory of that. Um, well, so the original series, of course, had the <laughs> M5. Had what? The, remember on the original series, it was the M5.
2: Oh, yeah. Which takes over uh, Dr. Daystrom, uh, the great Dr. Daystrom. The Daystrom t-
0: Institute, uh, right? That's right. Right.
2: Who take, they, they take over the ship, and uh, um, that becomes sentient, I mean sentient as well, and, and yeah. just shooting ships left and right. Um,
0: well, it's a, it's a popular uh, it's a popular subject in science fiction. Yeah. I mean, you know the machine, the machine consciousness, uh, you know, uh, taking over, and you know the Matrix. It's all about uh-huh. you know sentient sentient machines, and you know, there's a, a film I saw recently called Chappie. Have you heard of this movie, Chappie? I heard of it, but I didn't see it. Yeah. Pretty good. It's worth a look. It's worth the. Fee- it's oh, worth fine. a viewing. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. He, and he. he played, yeah, and he plays a villain for once, which is uh, interesting to see him in really? that. And, yeah, it's good. Good stuff.
2: Yeah, I don't think he has ever played. I can't remember him. Playing. Oh well, no, he does. He plays um, uh, in that really crappy Peter Pan movie. He also played. <laughs> oh
0: God. Did you see that? I had forgotten about that movie. It's a horrible movie. You know, the movie had a little promise in the beginning and then it just... Like... Like, I really enjoyed... How early in the beginning? I just enjoyed... uh, Because we always... I think it was always assumed that Peter Pan was an orphan. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of neat to see that, like, what J.M. Barry, You know, the the Peter Pan legend is based on this actual orphan and, you know, it's again, started out really promising, and then it just, as soon as it became fantastical, it just became too fantastical for my taste. I just well, thought it was, like... As soon as they started singing a song from Nirvana, that's, that's right. really, that's right. yeah. Totally yeah, and the, it was just Nirvana. out of... It was just not appropriate, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't appropriate at all. there's a throwaway line in the movie that says that like all the people that are there in Neverland are from all of time and space, like they could be from many different periods in history. Yeah, so like, that's true. Yeah, so that's like, true. yeah, so one can see how that might be, you know, like the yeah, but... yeah, there were some promising character, Captain Hook was promising in that movie. We shouldn't be talking about this on Starfleet Boy, but just I'm sorry, I've <laughs> to- yeah, I know. I'm sorry. But yeah, you know, but going bro. back but what led us to that is that like um I
2: don't know
0: you just <laughs> randomly mentioned Wolverine. Wolverine, that's right. chappy right. that's right. So Chappie, Chappie. addresses Chappie. <laughs> Chappie Chappie. addresses this idea and actually um a fascination a personal fascination of mine I'm going to go ahead and put this out there is i want i definitely am all for a way if there's a way to transfer my consciousness from from my body into a machine or into a robot i that's not I my
2: know. fault is it
0: <laughs> it might be you may have turned you may have tuned into something that i really that i really like I'm so sorry, like- <laughs> <laughs> what the doctor is referencing is when we were in high school, he wrote a short story called "The Galactic Heroes," and in the story, my consciousness was displaced and placed into a robot body. Well, I don't know. Maybe that did inspire me, but I feel like I feel like there's a lot more factors uh, than that. But I think that is definitely something uh, that is. That is, uh, so that's that's a theme that you find in Chappie is like a a machine becoming conscious, and then can you indeed can you distill human consciousness into code, and then can it be expressed the same way as it is in our bodies, uh, through our minds, through our biological form in a mechanical form, and so it's very fascinating. Obviously, we are very far away from something like that becoming reality. But there are some exciting things out there like IBM's Watson is pretty cool. I know Facebook is interested, in, uh, The uh, Mark Zuckerberg is interested in creating something like Jarvis from uh, the Avengers movies, from the Iron Man movies. Um, you know, so... Apparently, yeah. he
2: didn't see Age of Ultron, but okay.
0: Oh yeah, that was the- <laughs> well. Jarvis becomes the Vision, so who knows? That's kind yeah, of but cool- we did get Ultron along the way. Yeah, it's true. We did get Ultron along the way. Yeah. but yeah, really good questions about the holodeck and the nature of consciousness, and uh, you know, I just think that like that's going to be something that humans are going to be talking about for a long time uh, from a philosophical standpoint, and it's kind of like the last frontier in a way um you know obviously outside of f- in in physical frontiers space travel is a huge frontier you know there's like a lot there's more space than we can imagine <laughs> and there's more universe than we can imagine and so we just we have to get our butts off this planet and and start colonizing other worlds and and visiting planets and you know uh, it's exciting in our lifetimes. We're going to see people possibly colonizing Mars, and and that's exciting. I think we should start with the moon, but hey, you know my opinion. But <laughs> I, agree.
2: I agree. We uh, we are in agreement there.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but the nature of consciousness is going to come up, and as our machines keep getting more advanced, as our computers get more advanced and start doing more and more thinking, uh, I think we're going to see uh, something like what we've been seeing in Star Trek and other, other shows that address um, machine life um, uh, coming into fruition.
2: Um, one more thing I wanted to mention was one of my favorite lines in the episode is when they explain away data as being South American. <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. <laughs>
2: It becomes like a running thing. And
0: Cyrus Redblock says something like, "I've been all over the world and I've never seen a
2: a South American like you."
0: You (laughs) Uh, Very cool. Kind of. uh, So that did kind of like um, echo the the episode where I I think, if I'm not mistaken, they explained Spock's ears by saying he had an accident with a rice picker.
2: Yes, that's okay. right. Yes, it's so, it's so I know Kurt Shatner does such a great job in that, in that <laughs> part. Right. I know, I know, it's it's really good. Which I guess all is in is in the Chicago episode, right?
0: Right, that's right. So um, I think so. Yeah, and this takes place in San Francisco, which I like because. It- San Francisco is a very important part of Star Trek. It's where Starfleet headquarters ends up, and it's neat. They they visit San Francisco a few times in Next Generation. Well, uh, a,
2: a lot of the I think a lot of the Raymond Chandler novels also take place. Takes place in place York, San Francisco, California. In Calif- yeah, in California. Oh, California. California. Cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, I always liked it, like I said, because the pulp. I mean, it's it's you know it's uh, it's 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 not like hardcore pulp, but. Uh, so, and sometimes I wonder if Picard. Sometimes I like in the way he reacts to things in the holodeck. I wonder just how well he has read these books. Sometimes, <laughs> like he's he, he seems puzzled by things. I can't I can't remember any specific ones, but I know there was a reference to like Babe Ruth or something. And I'm like, well, if you really read a lot of these 1930s pulp novels, I would think you would know who you know. The baseball players are or whatever you know
0: but yeah there's an interesting uh thing about picard uh i mean the things that he's very knowledgeable about he's really knowledgeable but i think that he takes this like fiction with a the same like with a grain of salt like i don't think he he may have read the dixon hill novels but he may not have like bothered to like Look into some of the references, maybe inside of them. Like, yeah, Joe DiMaggio, I think baffles him. Joe DiMaggio, that's Joe Joe DiMaggio baffles him, things like that. But you know, it's not unlike when I read an Edith Wharton novel. I know there's like lots of references to very like specific, um, you know, things that were very important at the time that i have no idea and i really sometimes when you're reading you just don't have the time you just don't want to stop you don't want to stop no, I know. That, you know but so. if you
2: read a lot of edith, edith wharton novels you may begin to pick up certain things you know right
0: right that's true but
2: let me ask you do you think and i, I know we don't want to go on for too much longer but do you think that um with what we've seen so far of picard as a character, do you think that this, um, this love of the Dixon Hill character and these pulpy 1930s mysteries, do you think that fits his character as we've seen him? Because I mean, we've, I obviously it's been alluded to in prior episodes, um, but we've also seen in prior episodes, you know, he loves Shakespeare. Uh, he's someone who's, you know, he, 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 you know he's into classic literature. You know he's very knowledgeable about knowledgeable about uh, military history, in, including well, at, what at this point would be ancient Earth military <laughs> history because he recognizes um, Hughes French
0: whatever uh, the French Marshal right um, exactly.
2: So do do you think? Um, how do you think this fits with his character and even going on in the series?
0: I think it's, this is—I think you know, it fits with his character, and I think it's the revelation of a guilty pleasure. I think Dixon Hill is probably, uh, you know, us being let in on on Picard's guilty pleasure. It's like kind of like—I mean, I—I I don't often talk about it, but I really enjoy uh, pop music, especially you know, bands like One Direction. I mean, it's not something that like people look at me or who interact with me would ever think that I would like, but once I reveal it and they see that I'm actually into it, they're like, whoa, this is weird. And, and, but I see it as a guilty pleasure and maybe Dixon Hill is kind of like Picard's guilty pleasure. And he's, I think it's great. He's sharing it with the crew. You know, he's, that's what the point about pleasures is that they do give you joy, and like I think that's really evident in this. Is that Dixon Hill, whatever it means to Picard, um, gives him a lot of joy, and this could have been like, you know, um, it's very possible. And I don't know. There again, Star Trek is such a vast. So many stories have been told about Star Trek, and I can't possibly keep up with all of them. But one wonders if, while he was at the academy, when he was a little bit more, um, you know, when he was a little bit more. Uh, uh, raw and like un-unpolished. Uh, if Dixon Hill wasn't something he he discovered there, and it's interesting because when we do have that episode where we see Captain Picard, you know, it's a Q episode. I forget the name of it, but where Captain Picard gets to make that decision again about the Nausikin incident. Oh, right?
2: tapestry! I love it. Yeah, that
0: tapestry. Idea. Thank you. And everyone's talking in a pulpy kind of accent. They call him Johnny and there's like this kind of there's a vibe wow. what's that i don't recall that That's, yeah there's a there's wow. a noir vibe and i wonder if again for it, it almost kind of like says that like even within the um the next generation uh the era of the red uniform they look at it like the 30s <laughs> <laughs> and then the and then the era that we see the next generation is more like the 80s and 90s you know interesting interesting so i'm not sure i mean it's just something i'm recalling i have to like watch that episode again it's been a while but that's something i do remember distinctly that they call him johnny the actress in particular has kind of like a midwestern kind mm-hmm. of like an old noir type you know noir film accent <laughs> wow Cool. Did we rate yeah. this episode? Yes, we did. Right? Yeah, we did. We rated the episode and uh, great, great question. I gave it a glad... 3.1, right?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: And I gave it a 3.5. I, I'm really glad you chose to ask those questions because like they are relevant to this and to this episode. And just because Golda Scott's too busy to hang with us doesn't mean we can't keep having the discussion. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, doctor, uh, anything else to say about the episode?
2: No, I think uh, I, mean, I think we've said enough. I mean, I, I think we both enjoyed it more than Goldu Scott. Definitely. I'm sorry he's not, uh, he's not <laughs> as into uh, Picard's humorous side.
0: <laughs> Did they ever make Dixon Hill uh, action figures?
2: They made, yes, and I don't have it. There, oh. is, there, there is Picard in Dixon Hill garb. And I think there's Crusher also wearing that hat.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah that's good. I'm glad they did that. Yeah. Whoever they are. Whoever they are. <laughs> All right. Have a great evening and thank you for uh joining me and discussing uh the big goodbye. And on that note, live long. The and- big <laughs>